morning, Faith Church family. I hope you'll join me in God's Word, Revelation chapter 12. Go all the way to the end of your Bible, and you'll find the book of Revelation. Pastor Daniel, a few weeks ago, was like, turn to the first page of your Bible, and then skip a few pages over, and you'll actually find the next chapter over in chapter 3. Well, we're going to go to the other end of Scripture this morning, Revelation chapter 12. We continue our series, No Filter. In this series, we've looked at really the primary acts in, in the scene on, on the divine stage, right? We have act one, which is God's creation. Act number two, the fall of man into sin. Act three, Christ's redemption, the cross. We focused on that last week. This morning, we focus on act four, which is the final act in the story of God. And the, and the whole point of no filter is that you might be equipped to know and share the story of God. The story of God has to have all four pieces. Christians have historically understood every passage of the Bible in light of one of these four acts. So Revelation chapter 12, we'll get there in just a moment and we'll read. So the last part of God's story is actually where we find ourselves today. We live between the reality of the cross and the end of time. It has been said we are living in the last days. By the way, since Christ was born, we've been living in the last days. We're in between the full realization of Christ's kingdom here on earth and the present reality where we still deal with brokenness and sin and pain and death. Brokenness. That longing, though, we all have inside of us for something more. Pastor Daniel mentioned four questions that every religion, every worldview tries to answer. Who am I? Is there a divine being? Can I know this divine being? And what is this reality that exists? Or is there a reality that exists beyond this present reality? One of the things that you'll see in your friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus is their counter-narrative, to use the language Pastor Eric introduced us to, the counter-narrative. There is no coming moment of glory. There is nothing after this life. Our friends and neighbors adopt a, a mindset that's called nihilism. Some people pronounce it nihilism. It just means nothing. This is the life that there is, and we, we need to work and make money and have as much fun as we can because when we die, that is it. But that longing for something more is actually something all of creation experiences, even the plant and animal kingdom. Paul teaches us this in Romans 8. But we are between two realities, the one that we experience, sometimes painfully so, and the one that is coming. And that reminds me of the difference between D-Day and V-E-Day. So D-Day and Victory in Europe Day. D-Day marked the landing of the Allied troops in Europe on June 6, 1944. This decisive operation guaranteed the final defeat of Germany. D-Day is therefore like the first coming of Jesus portrayed in Revelation 12. However, the final surrender of the Axis forces did not occur until almost a year later on Victory in Europe Day, May 8, 1945. Christ's second coming which is kind of like the VE, the Victory in Europe Day for the church, remains a future event. Christians now live in this interim period called by God to overcome the dragon and his forces by putting on the spiritual armor that he has given us. 
So that's where we find ourselves today, reflecting on the reality of Jesus' first coming and Satan's defeat according to John's word to persecuted Christians in Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 12. Take a moment to pray with me before we read God's word. Father, we thank you this morning that you are making all things new. From the ashes, you are creating something beautiful. And it may not seem like it, it may not feel like it, but yet we affirm the reality that you are making all things new. And so that is the hope that we celebrate today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that you have revealed through your word and help us to apply them in tangible ways as we seek to live out our faith right here in Chandler. Guide us and lead us into your truth. In Jesus' name, I will give you praise forever and all eternity. Amen. So as we journey through Revelation 12 together, I want you to think about the way in which Jesus restores and renews all creation. Here's your take-home truth. The reality that Jesus is restoring all creation motivates us, number one, to keep trusting him, and number two, it gives us perspective on how we should live until his restoring work is complete. If you didn't catch those two on the first round, we'll try to mention that throughout this morning. So let's read Revelation 12. We're going to read this in its entirety, and I will warn you, there are some weird images. It almost reads like a sci-fi movie. Some of you are really excited about that because you like sci-fi. Meanwhile, others of you are already thinking, I wonder what we're going to have to lunch today. (laughs) But stay with me. Revelation chapter 12. The word of the Lord says this, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman was clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was to be born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days, three and a half years. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was there a place found for them any longer in heaven. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. His angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to death. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having a great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly to the wilderness to find her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, the word of the Lord. book of Revelation is one of the most fascinating yet difficult books in the entire Bible to understand. It's difficult because John the Apostle, who's exiled to this island called Patmos, is writing to a church experiencing persecution. He uses symbols and images to communicate encouraging truths to the church and to remind them to hold fast to Jesus no matter what they faced. So in this passage, we see the image of a woman who is clothed with a sun and a red dragon and this male child. By the way, your Bible, some of them may have actually capitalized child. Why did your Bible do that? Or why is there a footnote there in some Bibles? This is talking about the Messiah. Go all the way back. Remember what the Lord said in Genesis chapter 3. That the seed, the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent is going to bruise his heel. So those are the images that we have. I want to journey through this passage. It seems kind of weird and hard to understand. In fact, this week, one of the practices that I have grown to really enjoy as a married pastor is asking my wife to read the text and say what what stands out what question do you have and sometimes the conversation will go like this it's all weird to me <laughs> but I love that and so I want us to kind of slow down and journey through uh, Revelation chapter 12 in three scenes so here we are the curtain is opening this is scene one we are watching we are eagerly anticipating what's going to happen here in scene one. We've got our popcorn. Some of you have your coffee ready to go. You're ready to know what's going to happen. And this is the part where they're like, please turn off all cell phones and pay attention to the show, right? Scene one, we have the woman, the sun, and the dragon. This woman is representative of Eve as the mother of all creation, but also the mother of the Messiah. And some people actually think that the woman represents the community of faith that gives rise to the Messiah. We must remember back in Genesis 3 that God told Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent and that the serpent would bruise his heel. That promise finds fulfillment, Revelation 12, 1 through 6. That's scene 1. Scene 1, Revelation 12, 1 through 6. This woman ends up giving birth to the male child who represents the Messiah. Now, the passage says that this male child was caught up to God. What in the world does that mean? Scholars think that this refers to the three or so years that Jesus was actively doing ministry on earth. 
he had a certain protection from God. Even though he was truly God, he's truly man. He knew that his mission was the cross and the reconciliation of humans, bringing us back to God. We were enemies, and we get to be friends through Jesus. And he knew that was his mission from day one. There's a certain, this caught up to God image is not meant to be literal. It's meant to be figurative for the protection that God has. And also as a reminder, his purposes will be fulfilled. If we were going around the the sanctuary, our worship center this morning and say, what's your favorite attribute of God? We do this at Thanksgiving. A lot of times we'll, we'll talk about testimony. One of my favorite attributes of God is that he keeps his promises. There's not a soul under the sound of my voice that hasn't broken a promise. Every last one of us have. We've been dishonest. We haven't been true to God and true to ourselves. And if you're like, no, that's never me, then we need to do some soul searching. Christ alone is the only one who's never broken a promise. He keeps his promise. And he protects his people. That's verses 1 through 6. Scene 1. What can we learn from scene 1? Number 1. God fulfills his purposes and promise in time and space. Even though time and space cannot contain him. God fulfills his promise. Number two, we should not be surprised when Satan attacks us. Just as he attacked the woman's child here. Did you see this? He tries to attack the male child. And by the way, that's the reason for the spiritual battle that we face today. God fulfills his promises. Don't be surprised when Satan attacks. And we should be encouraged knowing that God protects his people. Here's another application from scene one. Just as the woman was exiled into the wilderness after the dragon attacked her, we too are exiles living in a wilderness. And it feels lonely and it feels painful at times and the wilderness may be difficult, but we have to remember that God's story is heading somewhere. And ultimately, we have a place in that story. It may not feel like it right now, but God is bringing about the restoration of of all things for your life. If you know Jesus, you've been born again, you've washed by his blood, you've confessed and repented, you've trusted Christ alone, he's the only merit you have before God the Father. You may not feel very restored today. You may feel as if everything is ash and rubble. But I remind you of the promises of God's word that say the offshoot of Jesse will rule the nations. That word offshoot means, have you ever cut a tree down? And then sometimes, randomly, after you've chopped the tree down and you haven't you know, burned the, the, the rest of the trunk and everything and it's still there, sometimes in a tree, a new plant will begin to grow. Whatever it is in your life, your family, the, the, the relationships, your work life may feel like rubble and ashes and it may not seem like there's a lot of beauty there but take heart child of God because the story doesn't end with the tree stump the story is actually being made new every morning we know what the word of God says that, that weeping may endure for the night but joy comes in the morning and we can be encouraged church knowing Jesus is restoring all things even the things in your life 
that you don't really see him acting on. You've been praying about that thing, asking for him to restore. He's restoring Chandler. He's restoring. And by the way, it's super hard for us to believe that. It's hard when I'm sitting at the 911 center and I hear children being abused or I hear women being abused or people involved in medical emergencies, life or death situations. It's hard to see the offshoot of Jesse, the root that rules the nations, the male child that's going to bring this kingdom of peace and harmony. It's super hard to believe that in those moments when you don't get the news that you want from the doctor. But be encouraged knowing this. Jesus is restoring all things. That's why it doesn't matter if you're having your best day or a worst day. You can be encouraged today knowing that He is making all things new. By the way, your friends and neighbors who don't know Christ, this is where you get to share about Christ and your story and the no-filter story of God. Because they don't think this is happening. They think the world is gradually getting worse and worse and worse. And there's no hope. And that's why we have a high rate of depression and teen suicide. And all of this is because people think that this painful reality is all that we have. Brothers and sisters, he's making all things new. And can I submit to you that sometimes the very place where you are the most broken, where you feel the most hopeless, that's the very place where Jesus actually begins to work and make all things new. I think about that in, in my marriage. The very places where I have been broken, those are the very places that as Lacey and I are in covenant, that He is making us new and He is making beauty come from ashes in amazing ways. And I praise God for that. Take heart, church. This is just scene one. We still have two more scenes to cover in the passage. Scene two picks up with verse seven. goes all the way through verse 12. We see the war in heaven. Here we have the birth of Messiah in verses one through six, scene one. But then it, the writer backs up a little bit, and it's kind of confusing because he backs up in time, but he doesn't tell us, like, hey, guys, we're going to fast forward or we're going to rewind several years. The war in heaven. Scene two goes back in time well before the events in scene one take place. These verses describe the reason why there's evil in the world. Before he was evil, Satan actually participated in the heavenly realm as an angel. And apparently his angelic role, Bible scholars believe, pretty universal consensus, that his role involved accusations. Satan is, is almost described like a prosecuting attorney who lists all the charges and offenses against God and the holy just judge. Kind of ironic that he ends up committing the greatest offense himself. Talk about corruption. But he gets kicked out of heaven, and that's where he begins his work as God's arch enemy on earth. The key verses of scene two or verses 10 through 12. And I really want us to focus on that. So let's read verses 10 through 12 again. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. He's had an accusatory role before he is cast down to earth. 
And then they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. Fast forward to the New Testament. The blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down, having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. These verses are why I felt God leading us to this passage for today. There's many passages we could turn to to point to the restoration of all things. We could have gone to Revelation 22. We could have gone to Romans 8. And I hope you'll read those this week in your quiet time. But why here? It's because here we learn that there is no other path to restoration. There's no other path to lasting renewal other than through the Messiah. Pleasure is not going to do it. Work's not going to do it. Relationships and family is not going to do it. The pathway to restoration and renewal is not politics. I encourage you, as citizens of two kingdoms, to be active and pray for your political leaders. You need to know who your senators and representatives are. Well, Brother Dustin, that's separation of church and state. You're not supposed to talk about politics in church on Sunday morning. There's a point. Stay with me. I encourage all of you. When it's time to vote, vote. Go online. You can actually go online and look at all of your candidates who serve Ohio Township in Warwick County in the 8th Congressional District at Washington. Why does that matter? You're a citizen of this kingdom, but this kingdom is not forever. All the rulers of the earth are pretend powers. They're on a stage and they're puppet powers. The real authority is Jesus Christ alone. Why does that even connect to this passage? Our politicians will try to bring about renewal by passing legislation. That's not the path forward. Even as we think about our church and our congregation, there's been many changes that Pastor Daniel and Nicole have labored and prayed for over the years of their ministry here. Simple things like repainting a wall that may seem simple to you, but actually may have taken them years to actually move that forward and get that done. Why does that matter? Paint on the wall is great. We love that, and it looks good, and I think we have a really awesome facility here. But that's not the pathway to helping Chandler overcome addiction and brokenness and family pain and sorrow and a never-ending cycle of mommies and daddies being separated from their kids and children being separated from mommy and daddy because mommy and daddy don't love them. Pain on the wall is a great thing. And I think we should maintain our facilities. God has called us to be stewards and to take care of this plot of land. And here's the thing about restoration in the kingdom. We get so focused on all the wrong in the world, and we don't really see in our jobs or, or whatever the context is. We don't see what we can do to make a difference. Everything seems so dark and gloomy. And I, I even relate to this in some work and experiences that I've had in past and even present situations. Sometimes it seems so hard to bring about renewal from the mess, from the muck and the mire of the things in this world. God hasn't called you to change the world. His Messiah will do that. He has called you to take care of the plot of land that He has allotted to you and to yours. You're not responsible for what happens with everybody else and their family in in one way. In another way, you should pray for our leaders and things. But do you see the point? Here's the point. 
whatever your work of restoration. And here's the thing about restoration. It's kind of like mowing your grass. Men, you, you mow your grass. Or women. Women mow their grass too. I was thinking about Miss Linda. You know, she's always out there taking care of her property and making it look beautiful. Here's the thing about it, though. You go out there and you work the thing and you sweat and you get it clean. You pressure wash the sidewalk on work day at the church and it looks good. But the next rainstorm, there's going to be more green mold where that water is. And that's how restoration works. Sometimes you just got to keep spraying the pressure washer. Even though you feel like it's not making any difference, it is. Because if you didn't maintain it at all... It would be awful. It would be so slick we couldn't even walk on the sidewalk. One of the strongest discouragements in our day is that people think there is no restoration. There is no reality behind, beyond pain, brokenness, and sorrow. The mindset many live with daily is that this is all there is. And brothers and sisters, Revelation 12 shows us clearly that's not the case. The other problem is this. People think of Satan and Jesus as opposites. You will recall the cartoons where you've got the God angel on one shoulder and the, the demon angel on the other shoulder, and there's this constant fight of good versus evil. That's not how it works, because we are fighting a defeated foe. He just hasn't gotten the memo yet. It reminds me of Emperor Hirohito of Japan who addressed his nation for the first time on radio, August 12, 1945. His message to the Japanese people was that they had been defeated by the Allied forces. A number of Japanese soldiers, though, refused to believe what they heard over the airwaves. One of these soldiers, Lieutenant Hiro Anodo, continued fighting until March 9, 1974, when he received formal orders from his government to stop fighting. Here's the point. Jesus has decisively triumphed over Satan, but we must realize that our enemy hasn't gotten the memo yet. He's defeated. There is nothing else that needs to happen for Christ to win and be king. And sometimes we think about the restoration of all things. We think about Christ's kingdom as all these things have to happen before Jesus is ruling in rightful power. The word of God says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority, all power has been given to him. And guess what? Here's the beautiful thing about the church. He actually says, all of the authority that I have over heaven and earth, I'm going to give to you. So the pathway forward for restoration and renewal in the world is the church. And that's why we're not called to just repent, pray a prayer, walk an aisle, be baptized, and then sit here till Christ comes. You have a role, church, to play in renewing and restoring. And ultimately, you know, you're not going to change anybody's heart. It's the Messiah who does that. But we're not here playing games, Faith Church. We're trying to bring about the renewal and restoration of God, even though we know it won't be fully realized until Jesus comes back. We're trying to bring about that renewal in Chandler, in Warwick County, in our state, and the world. Even so, come Lord Jesus and give your bride strength to persevere. The three scenes of Revelation 12 remind us that restoration and protection that God's Messiah brings. We need to think about how we should respond to these truths we have encountered. Here's some applications for you. Remember, God is faithful to His promises. History is moving in a direction. Be encouraged. Number two, 
never forget that you live between two realities. The reality of this painful life and the reality of the restoration that's coming. It's no incident or accident this morning. Pastor Daniel shared his heart about his friend who's going to go and preach the funeral for today. When we were singing in worship, I began to think about my grandpa Jimmy. We sang Power in the Blood and we sang I'll Fly Away. And I began to think about how much he loved Power in the Blood. I began to think about the sadness that he faced when my grandmother came to the end of her life. She had fought cancer all of her life. She had overcome it a few times and got it again. She ends up passing away with bleeding in the brain. And I began to think about the grief that he had when she went to be with the Lord and he was still left behind. But I also think about the beautiful restoration and renewal that he is now experiencing because he knew Jesus. That is offered for you and me too. It's not just about praying a prayer, escaping hell, and going to heaven when we die, brothers and sisters, but we have every reason to be encouraged. He is restoring all things. And our faith will become sight in that moment when Christ returns. Now, some of you, your minds are analytical, and you're thinking, when's Christ going to come back? Pastors often get questions like, when's the rapture going to happen? Pastor, what do you believe about Revelation? What's your millennial view? These are all fun conversations. People have written doctoral dissertations trying to answer that stuff. But here's the point. Jesus is coming back. In the same manner that you saw him leave, he will return unto you. That's why it's not going to be a mystery. People are not going to wonder, was that the Lord's coming back or no? Did I miss it? Did I get left behind? You're going to know when he comes back because every eye shall see him, even they which pierced him. And it won't be a secret. Hold on. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep walking with God. Restoration may not be realized yet, but it is coming. Satan, application number three, will war against us, but we have offensive weapons. And more importantly, the truth that he's already been defeated. There are limits to Satan's power. That's where the cartoon analogy falls apart. It's not equal ground. He's defeated. He's under the feet of Christ. He's reigning presently, actively at this moment. There is a now and not yet aspect to the kingdom. And we have to live our lives as citizens of God's kingdom as we wait for that glorious day. There are limits to his power. He cannot do to you what he doesn't have permission to do. And that's illustrated even in the book of Job, where we see Satan in this accusatory fashion. He goes and he says, have you tried your servant Job? The reason he loves you, God, is because you protect him, because you gave him a family, because you give him all these things. If you just take that stuff away, he'll turn his back on you in a heartbeat. You may test my servant Job, but you may not take his life. And that thing that you're going through today and you feel like, why is God allowing me to go through this? Why isn't he restoring? Why isn't he bringing beauty from the ashes today? Why isn't he giving me the, the positive news that I want or the doctor report that I want today? Brothers and sisters, can you imagine what King Jesus and his angels are protecting us from on a daily basis that we don't even think about? 
So you may feel the thick of the fire right now, but you have to remember what happened in the book of Daniel. There's three guys that get put into this dungeon because, because of their faith in God, because of their belief that God was going to come through no matter what, and even if he didn't, they were still going to trust him. And then what happens is Nebuchadnezzar sees this fourth man walking around in the fire. He's in there with you. Your suffering's not in vain. Trust in God. Keep believing. Here's a practical application. My favorite psalm is Psalm 91. I heard a pastor say one time, when you find yourself in trouble, dial 911. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. I've shared with some of you the health struggle that I went through in 2019, was fighting for my life and didn't even know it. And my dad told me when they woke me up from surgery that I started saying, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my rock and my refuge, my God in whom I trust. I will not be afraid. I don't know why I said that, except for the fact that it is internal in my heart, and that I know that even though I was fighting for my life in that moment in 2019, I'm under His protective wings. And that gives me hope to keep enduring. The reality, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is restoring all creation, it motivates us to keep trusting, and it gives us perspective to know that this broken reality is not all there is. Jesus is restoring all things. We as God's people, though, desperately need to learn to abide in Christ. We need to learn how to pray without ceasing. We need to learn how to practice the presence of God on Monday through Saturday. God's protection and His provision are not just available right here on Sunday morning or in community group. We live in the wilderness, and that is where God walks with us. I want you to flip over at the end of your Bible, Revelation 22. I'll read to you the first five verses. Let the word of the Lord wash over you in a fresh way. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. He showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each yielding fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. His names will be on their foreheads. By the way, Christians worrying about getting the mark of the beast, you don't got to worry about that. You have the mark of the Lamb, church. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord their God gives them their life and they, their light, and they shall reign forever. The curse is broken. Though Christ's kingdom is not fully realized today, it will be one day. We have reason to hope for restoration. God's making all things new. And friend, this morning, He wants to, to make you new. If you've never experienced what it is like to know God, there are plenty of us here that want to walk with you and help you take your next step of faith whatever that may be. But you're not going to experience restoration in your life if you keep trying to do it outside of Jesus. Let's pray.